You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. Uh, and before I, uh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, I was going to say before I uh, move along, I talk about next week, but I don't guess that really matters because we'll we'll have something on next week. Um, but today, uh, my guest is. I'm trying to think of the right title, <laughs> Dave. How does how does itinerant surveyor sound? Sounds all right. I think maybe sure. you maybe you should start a uh, TV show or. Um, a journal of some kind called the Itinerant Surveyor, and and share all your adventures with uh, with folks in a in a uh, direct way. That would be pretty cool. By the way, folks, uh, the David I'm talking to is David Holland, a great great friend for many many years. Uh, currently, is the NSPS Board of Directors representative uh, from Virginia. And uh, so I'm always proud to have my fellow Virginians on the show with me. So welcome, David. Glad to be here. And you you have been around long enough to be considered a Virginian now, right? Yeah, I've been, uh, well, actually you have to be here for at least 200 years to be a Virginian. But uh, I have been here for 28 years, so I'm getting, I'm, I'm uh, climbing that ladder, you might say. Are you hearing static <laughs> in the line? I'm hearing a little bit of static. I don't know. Not really. Yeah, maybe it's just my telephone. Our tele- our telephones are about 100 years old, I think. I'm on the landline right now, so it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, yeah, you should be fine. It's probably just my connection here. Uh, so I, I guess the, the first question for the itinerant surveyor is what, what attracts you? Is it the beer? Is it the cigars? Is it the adventure, the companionship? What are, what, what's the draw? I would say it's every all of, that, all of those. Actually, when I was a kid, my father... <laughs> Love to travel, so we uh, uh, did at least two vacations every year. It seemed like, and uh, went all over the American West and everything else. And so I'm, I'm kind of holding the, the family tradition, you might say, all these years later. And yeah. so I have been, uh, you know, I just I, like most people. I enjoy traveling, and I always have a good time when I go. And so uh, I see no reason not to go somewhere. Yeah, and, and you set up a bunch of other stuff too. I mean, I know you've done set up the. The camping things with a lot of people and going different places, and so it's not just traveling around the world. You you do a lot of other things too. I know you did some stuff along the trail and a bunch of other things. Oh yeah, back in uh, actually, I, when I graduated from college, I moved out to uh, Denver, Colorado, back in the uh, middle seventies, taking John Denver's advice, so to speak. And uh, you know, I was uh, into rock climbing and backpacking and downhill skiing and. You name it, and so I've always been kind of an outdoors kind of a person. So I enjoy uh, all kinds of trips. Uh, you know, from uh, from floating down the uh, Colorado River through the Grand Canyon to you know going to uh, Nicaragua on a cigar trip or going over to Egypt to look at the pyramids. Uh, whatever uh, comes along, it looks good at the time. It's really fortunate, I think, to have had a childhood like that where you were, were able to travel around the country because I mean, a lot of folks. Like me, for example, I never traveled more, probably more than two or three hundred miles from uh, where I grew up until I was grown. Um, of course, you you dream of doing those things, but having the experience of being able to do them, I, I suspect it probably made it easier for you to do because you really didn't have a lot of inhibitions 
others of us might have about what what could happen. Oh yeah, I, actually, I was raised out in West Texas, so uh, my had a, my father had a large uh, cotton farm. So as a farmer, you can kind of, uh, at least in a, in a good year, you can kind of get away. You might say. And so we were always going to places like New Mexico and Arizona and, you know, out west. So I've always enjoyed out west. And as a matter of fact, I probably have been in, I believe, in about every national park there is in the western part of the United States. So, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a good run for me, good life, no doubt about it. Well, that West Texas thing you share with David's radio station, you know, David's from West Texas, too. So Yeah. yeah. You all have lot, well, lots of things to, to talk about. hanging around here and there, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about a little bit today is uh, uh, you were talking about Alaska. I was going to going to say if uh, next time you go up there, you won't be able to climb Mount McKinley anymore. No, it'll be Denali now, won't it? Yeah, I guess so. I read that in the paper. They, the people from Ohio will not be too thrilled about that. <laughs> McKinley sent the same after their president, uh, McKinley, back in uh, 1901 or so. Yeah. But... Uh, Actually, that's quite a trip up there. We went up there uh, uh, actually in 2010. I decided I wanted to go to Alaska. I'd been there a couple of times, but just for as a, for surveying conventions. But I'd never been to Alaska actually as a just touring around. So I called up some old fraternity brothers of mine. And I said, "Guys, why don't we uh, go to Alaska here for a couple of weeks?" And they they said, "That's a good idea." So. I rented a, uh, made reservations up there and rented a 30-foot Winnebago, the type where you push a button and the sides come out at night so everybody's got a bed, one of those jobs. And we all fly up to Anchorage. It's four of us uh, on that particular trip. And, uh, you know, first thing we did, of course, once we got the Winnebago up there, is head to the nearest grocery store, Safeway, and bought all plenty of beer and and road food, and away we went, and we headed for uh, uh, what I call McKinley National Park, but it's now it's, obviously it's Denali National Park for our first stop. But the interesting thing about that trip, the weather was great, number one, but number two, I had been told that before you get to Mount uh, Denali or Denali National Park, you should stop and camp at Denali State Park which is 30 miles, you know, south of the National Park, because from that point you got a better view of the mountain itself. And, of course, Mount McKinley, soon to be Mount Denali, is the tallest, highest mountain on the North American continent. And I think it's about 20,320 feet, if I'm not mistaken. And the problem is, due to the height of that mountain, there's a cloud cover most of the time, and so only 30% of the time can you actually get a clear day and see the very, very top of the mountain from that viewpoint. Sure enough, we go up to uh, that uh, state park that, e- that evening, camp out that night, wake up the next morning, I walk out of the Winnebago, and there's the blue, beautiful skies, walk over to the overlook, and bam, there's Mount McKinley right in front of me, up 20,000 feet, what a view. All the other mountains around it were like 14,000, 15,000 mountains, or foot mountains, and it made those mountains look like dwarfs. It was an incredible view. Yeah, I would agree with that. I had that same experience. And by the way, for those who are listening to the show this morning, wonder what we're talking about. 
Uh, the theme of today's show is surveyors can have fun, too. We, we talk about all the things in our profession all the time, and I just thought it would be really kind of nice to talk about some stuff that, that, that you've done and, and just share that with, with our audience because we really, maybe it's just because I'm getting old, I don't know, but you know, we really need to start taking more advantage of the opportunities we have to, to see our country and to see the world. But you were talking about um, McKinley, Denali there. I, I had a similar experience. We were up there. We stayed south of the park and uh, had, were told the same thing you were. And the, the first night we saw the ring, of course, we were in the summertime, so it really never got dark very much. And mm-hmm. we saw the ring, and then the next morning the thing cleared and was clear for three days. And uh, I, I remember, as you had pointed out, one of the mountains, I don't remember the name of the one just south of there, but it's about the same size as Rainier, and it looked like a hump or something. <laughs> it was yeah. just ink by comparison. It's amazing how how McKinley just shoots so high above all the mountains around it. You know, you just kind of wonder how that really happened. You know, I think in geologic things, terms. I think one of the things that struck me about it so much was how broad it is. You know, it's just huge. You know, a lot of peaks are peaks and they go up, but but it is just huge. Yeah, we actually while we were there, and we were there, we camped out there for about three days, and we took the only you can get into the back country. Uh, you can't drive into the back country, but you can take a shuttle into the back country, which will go up to about 92 miles. So we took the shuttle, uh, which is on obviously a dirt road going back into the mountains uh, from the from the park headquarters, so to speak. And on that shuttle, as we were going through the mountains, every time we'd see wildlife, the uh, our driver would stop and we would watch, you know, in their regular. Habitat, we would watch, uh, I mean, we saw grizzly bear back in there. Uh, we saw caribou, uh, doll, sheep, moose. Fantastic. Just a fantastic place. Yeah, our, we, we took that, we actually were on a thing like a school bus when we went back in there. Yeah, um, one shuttle, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right, kind, it's like a school bus. Similar mm-hmm. kind of thing, yeah. yeah. Well, as, as we get through today's show, I want to talk about more things, and we're getting pretty close to the first break, so I do want to mention one thing that happened this morning that kind of fit in with what you and I are talking about. I got an email from our good buddy Gary Thompson. It included two photos that he took on a little adventure that he and Tommy Brooks and Lamar Evers and Jerry Goodson and I took at Mount Pisgah in North Carolina, where the TV tower is up there, and... Uh, Brought back some great memories, and of course the pictures of Jerry. Jerry was the the dearest of all folks, and uh, just just brought get back good memories of that. I, I'll send you that uh, the the email I sent out this morning. It's got a video. It's not of us being there, but a video of people riding up the side of the mountain on that little rail car that goes from the bottom of the mountain up to the tower. Um, quite the adventure that I wasn't quite up to, but Jerry and Tommy and Gary were. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But uh, great. my excuse was, my and Lamar's excuse was that uh, the cart wasn't big enough to hold all of us, so we we volunteered to be the ones to stay behind. Oh, so, okay. Anyway, it was, but it was it was one of those adventures with friends, and I know that's one of the things that's sort of common in a lot of your trips these days is you have a group of friends, and sometimes it's the same folks, sometimes not. It's just a great opportunity to get out and, and do things with, with people you really like. Oh yeah, that that really makes traveling fun. Is when you're going with a with a group of people that you uh, enjoy being around, that sort of thing. So in my case, it's either you know uh, old fraternity brothers or a lot of my 
my trips have been with uh, you know fellow surveyors here in Virginia and, and for that matter uh, all over the all over the country because you and I so know so many surveyors because of our NSPS uh, connection and all the rest of that. Yeah, it's very true. And and as a matter of fact, maybe we'll have time to talk a little bit about. I know we had a show on with uh, with Denny and John about the rendezvous coming up. But if we we get through the rest of things, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit because I know that's a, a big activity that that you get involved in and and participate in um, a good part. Yeah, I'll of the be time. leaving for. Uh, for Bellingham next week, as a matter of fact, a week from yeah. tomorrow. That really looks like it's going to be a great program out there. So yes. that ought, ought to be a good one. So when we come back, uh, we'll we can talk a little bit during the break and see where we want to pick up on which one of these trips you mentioned earlier we want to start out talking about. But uh, we can do that and uh, and share the adventure with other folks and and maybe inspire other people to get out and do these kind of things. So. Let's uh, let's go ahead and take our break. I think we're 10 seconds early, but that probably won't hurt us too much. So let's take that break, and we'll be right back. Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear all of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on itunes You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back with David Holland today and our our itinerant surveyor and his travel log. Um, and I, we talked a little bit during the break. We we decided that we uh, want to go into the the trip to Egypt that you took. And David, one of the one of the questions I would ask, and I don't know if this is even anything you know about, but have you ever heard of a company called Cyarc? 
No, have not. They, I, I assume they're still in business. They start. They they are. They do scanning. Uh, you, you know the pictures of uh, Mount Rushmore. You see the people climbing up and down the side on ropes, and they're uh, getting data about Mount Rushmore. That, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that's those folks, and they did a bunch of work over in Egypt too, um, and just created oh. you know images of of a lot of what's over there. I just didn't know if you had run into them anywhere or heard them. I'm familiar with what they're doing. As a matter of fact, that's the you're probably referring to a King Tut's tomb. Yeah. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. I think that's and right. And where they think that uh, his mother, Queen Nefertiti, is actually buried uh, in that tomb, and that really that tomb is really for her, and he and the and King Tut is in, who is the boy king, uh, is kind of in the antechamber. Even though all along we've all thought that it was in fact King Tut's tomb. That's the theory, I believe. Is that right? That's pretty interesting. I, I really hadn't heard yeah. that, but it kind of makes sense considering. Yeah, they're scanning that. They think there's a wall there, and they're scanning it, and they're finding there's something beyond the wall, and they haven't gone any further than that yet. This is still all uh, conjecture at this point in time, but that's a possibility. Wow. That's pretty yeah. exciting, isn't it? So yeah, what? and I was in King Tut's tomb, so I didn't see Never TT, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess she was hiding behind the wall. I suppose so. <laughs> Well, that must have been quite the adventure to, and you know, we always look back to the Egyptians kind of as surveyors, you know, call them the rope stretchers, what have you, and so yeah, to sort of go back to the motherland, so to speak, for the profession had to be interesting. Yes, it was. This was actually about five years ago, and the interesting thing about this trip is that Mike Besh, who is a professor at the University of Akron, uh, program director of surveying and mapping there, uh, organized this trip. And organized it under the auspices of, uh, of uh, Surveyors Historical Society sponsorship. And so when Mike put that email out, and I saw it was about going to uh, Egypt and going up the Nile and going and checking uh, out the, uh, you know, the, 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 all these incredible Egyptian pyramids and all the rest of it, I immediately jumped on that trip. And so uh, it turned out that there were about nine of us in that particular group that year. It was in March that we left. We all met at JFK in uh, New York City, and from there we flew, uh, I think it was like a 12-hour flight to Cairo and had a tremendous itinerary set up. And the whole trip was, you know, about two weeks, ten days to two weeks, and we really saw a whole lot of everything, uh, not all everything, but a whole lot of things that Egypt has to offer. And so right off the bat, we uh, toured the Egyptian Museum, saw all of the King Tut artifacts, and then from there we started touring the pyramids around Giza. Fabulous. Uh, you can imagine all these being right there with, with those pyramids. Turned out that 2010 was the perfect year because that was when Mubarak had control of the country the following year he was uh, overthrown so probably it's not a good time to be going to Egypt right now but in 2010 things were good and stable and we just had a tremendous trip uh, I was, over there. I, I had written down as you were uh, beginning to speak there if the, if you thought the political climate now might be prohibitive and you kind of answered that a little <laughs> better but I, I'd be a little bit uh, and I'm you know I, I will pretty well go places even if there is a little bit of danger but I at this point in time, I probably would not go uh, due to uh, political appeal over there. They're, I think they're in 
process of electing a new prime minister, and that's always iffy in Egypt. Sure. But anyway, we had a, you know. Now, was this, uh, was this something where you had, uh, like, a, a travel guide with you, or was there some other surveyor from there that was part of the trip, or how was that no, all we put had, together? We had a guide with us the entire trip, and this guide must have known everyone in Egypt. <laughs> so everywhere, <laughs> he was a great guy. He spoke English quite well, actually. And uh, every time we went to a uh, any kind of a historic site, whether it be a pyramid or 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 what, whatever it may have been, this guy always seemed to go up to the front of the line, talk to his buddy who was uh, at the gate, so to speak, and then he'd wave to. <laughs> I think it passed him some money, perhaps, and waved <laughs> to our group and would come around and go straight in. So, you know, whether it was a temple or whether it was a tomb or whether it was a pyramid, whatever, uh, we always seemed to get right in. So uh, a great so, guide. So once you got in, was this something that was a guided deal with him, or were there people there that were curators, or how, how did that work? Well, Egypt is real, not even close to being what? United States is in that regard. There were curators, but uh, you were pretty well on your own. I mean, you were with a guide, and we were able to pretty well go where we wanted. Uh, you know, in the as far as a particular tour was concerned, so it was mostly self-guided. If you want to look at it that way, the, the tours that we took. And as a matter of fact, just to give you an example, uh, after we toured the pyramids around Giza, another day we took. We went outside of Cairo, further outside of Cairo, considerably out to some other pyramids, and one of those pyramids was called the Red Pyramid. And in that case, actually, we had our driver in the bus, we had a uh, security man with us, just uh, to be on the safe side. And he had an Uzi machine gun, I talked to him, and we never had a problem, but he was just there as kind of a... uh, protective thing if you want to look at it that way but the point about the red pyramid once we got to that red pyramid which is really a very large pyramid i noticed you could climb up about a third of the way or or maybe even less than that in order to go into the tunnel that would go down to the to the burial uh, tomb and so there's a little egyptian right out front of where this tunnel is in the side of the pyramid and me and a friend of mine went up there, and I paid him five uh, Egyptian pounds, which was about 20 cents American, <laughs> to let me go on in there and climb down there. And so that he did, and so we actually crawled into that tunnel, if you want to call it that, all the way down to the burial chambers inside the pyramid. Had little lights along the side where you kind of see what you were doing, but it was really a spooky thing to do, but I just couldn't resist. <laughs> we finally, as you can well imagine, we got down to the to the actual uh, the the chamber. It, at that point, nothing was in there because everything had been removed and, and obviously taken into the museum. But we got to the chamber. We were able to stand up because the actual tunnel in there was only about four and a half feet by four and a half feet. So you pretty well had to crawl through it down and crawl back out. But it was just a fascinating thing to do. And uh, and just being in the in the actual burial chamber where the uh, you know where the king or the pharaoh had had been for five thousand years was just quite a uh, experience. <laughs> so was that 
what you did, was that sort of part of the adventure, or was that something that was just kind of special I, that you were able to do because you took the initiative? I was, took I, Exactly. I took the initiative. We saw it, walked up there, talked to the guy who could speak a little bit of English, and I said, can, can we go in here? And he said, he hemmed and hawed, and I said, here's uh, here's money. Oh, sure, go ahead, he says. <laughs> so it's pretty wide open in Egypt. You can kind of do so, things. I, so I don't it, think, I wouldn't recommend doing that because, uh, to most people because it is a little scary to do that. If you had any kind of a problem, then you'd have, they'd have to pull you out with a rope probably. I mean, it was, you know, this was kind of a wide open deal. So but, for claustrophobic people like me, it probably wouldn't work out too well. No, you would not enjoy doing something like that, but it was quite a <laughs> But beyond that, I mean, the rest of the trip was fabulous. We actually, from uh, after we toured around Cairo and saw the sites, uh, pyramids, and other uh, other historical places there, we then took got on a plane, Egyptian Airlines, and flew to Luxor, which is, Luxor is is the site of ancient Thebes, actually, on the Nile River, which is in Upper Egypt, about halfway through Egypt. And that's where we toured outside of Luxor. That's where the Valley of the Kings are located, which is where all the uh, tombs were for King Tut, Ramesses one, two, and three. There were something like sixty-four tombs in that valley, and so we took a tour through there. Didn't go through all sixty-four, but we went through the Ramesses to, uh, tombs and and King Tut's tomb. Fantastic. At the same time, you were talking about the uh, the rope stretchers, uh, the fact that Egypt is the uh, where is where surveying began, so to speak, because the Nile River would flood every year, and uh, and so the boundaries of the properties along the Nile would have to be replaced, and hence the, the so-called surveyors or rope stretchers were the people who would do that. And so the tomb of Mena, who was a nobleman was in not in the Valley of the Kings, but it's uh, within driving distance. So we drove over there and got special uh, permission to go up into the Tomb of Mena, and that is where that uh, hieroglyph in the painting is of the famous, uh, where, where, the, where the Egyptian surveyors are having the knotted rope in order, to, in order to survey. You see that picture in most surveying textbooks, if you mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh-huh. That, and so we went in there and looked at that, that thing was maybe, that tomb was uh, something like at least 3,500 to 4,000 years old. And that pictograph, they had a, a plastic, uh, like a glass over it where you couldn't touch it. But that's all they had. And that pictograph or picture was as clear now as it was when it was first painted probably 3,000 years ago. Incredible. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? That that, that yes, happen. it is. Yeah. Because of the dryness and the fact that you're in the in a desert type of environment there, right? Yeah. When you mentioned Luxor, I, the closest I've ever come to that, I, I went to the Luxor Casino one time in Vegas. That's yeah, very similar. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> not exactly the same adventure. I don't believe. <laughs> not quite same the deal, but hey, what the heck? <laughs> but anyway, and, and just to quickly finish this story up, from that point in Luxor, we then got uh, uh, took a a four-day trip up the Nile on, a, on one of the river boats they have. And every, and every evening we would stop, and, and, uh, or every day we would stop at a historical site, such as a temple or whatever, tour that temple or tomb or whatever it may be, to get back on the, on the boat, which was a large, you know, I mean, these were nice 
riverboats. I mean, they had, uh, you know, you had a stateroom, and uh, they had a place to eat supper every night, and on the top deck was open, and you could lay in your chase lounge, if you will, smoke cigars, and watch the Nile River as you're watch just like you i mean people were living there like they've lived there forever you would see water buffalo on the side and and uh, donkeys and the and these farmers out there working in the fields i mean it was at palm trees lined the sides of the river fantastic pretty amazing well here we and are we got the, all the way to John we're, at the, we're at the end of our second break so we'll leave okay. people in suspense for a couple of minutes <laughs> and pick back up when we come back yeah okay thanks sure. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.seanstedt.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back with Dave Holland, and as we left you, uh, one of those suspenseful moments, you know how it is on TV when it sort of fades out and you're not really sure what's happening next, and then when we reappear, we see David Holland on a camel. Uh, yeah, what, I'll wrap this story up fairly quickly. We left Luxor on this wonderful uh, Nile riverboat, and we uh, ended up in Aswan, which is where the high dam is, and that's where Lake Nasser is located in Egypt. Uh, another fantastic place. As a matter of fact, Ag- Agatha Christie lived there in uh, for a while, and that's where she wrote, uh, what was that, Murder on the Nile, perhaps? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. But anyway, while we were there, of course, I had to do a camel ride. Can't go to Egypt without doing a camel ride. So we go out to the uh, to the little camel corral uh, on this little island in the middle of the, of the Nile River right there called Elephant Island. And so we, and like I say, there's nine of us, so we all have our uh, individual camel. Camels are, you know, very large uh, animals and very uh, much higher than you 
long-legged, so when you get on a camel, you are way up there, so to speak. And each one of us had our little camel driver. Uh, they, the, like a kid was maybe, mine was maybe, I don't know, kid was 12 years old, and he was, he was my camel jockey, so to speak, and he was supposed to guide my camel up the dune until we got to this uh, abandoned monastery up the, uh, this is all sand dunes, obviously, in Egypt. So I get on my camel, which wasn't an easy thing to do. The camel has to kneel down, and you have to kind of climb up on the saddle, which is comfortable. When, he, when that camel stands up, you are really way up. So the last thing you want to do is fall off the camel. And apparently my camel, whose name, who was named Mickey, decided the fastest that the, the sooner we got up to the uh, monastery and back, then he could go back to his camel corral, you know, and have a nice lunch of... Uh, you know, grape leaves and whatever. So I got on with Mickey, and away we went full speed ahead. <laughs> I'm hanging on for dear life. And uh, so we beat everyone to the abandoned monastery. Finally, we found this little palm tree, so uh, Mickey went over where the shade was, and I'm on the camel. And starting to really enjoy the trip now that we're slowed down a little bit. Finally, everybody else, makes, the whole group gets up there, and we finally uh, decide to, after we look at the monastery, we get we, if we head back to the camel corral, and Mickey, my camel, finally kind of decided to slow down, and I enjoyed the trip back a lot more than I did going up. But I must say it was one fantastic camel ride. I've never done it before and probably will never do it again, but uh, uh, riding a camel is an interesting experience. So you got, uh, put in, you got in on a camel race without realizing you were going to. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That was quite the thrilling ride, to put it mildly. And I've ridden horse. I rode horses when I was a kid, so I thought, "Yeah, just like horseback riding." No, not really. Completely different. <laughs> different, different story. Different story. But anyway, well, I, I know. Uh, sometime back, you and a group went over to uh, to London and had some really interesting adventures there, including uh, some obviously surveying related, and made some good friends and some fo- even some folks that I've gotten acquainted with too. And, that, that was a great trip for you, I think. Yeah, we did the London trip about uh, 2013, a couple of years ago. And in that trip, uh, a friend of mine, who is also a surveyor in Virginia, whose name is Steve, Steve Letchard, is, is uh, from England. And his parents lived in, live over in England, so Steve knew, you know, had, had the, uh, knew how to get around in England. And so we came up with the idea that we would we need to take a trip over to England and meet. Uh, I know, uh, for an example, I know one of the directors for the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, RICS, over there, whose name is uh, James Cavanaugh. So I called, emailed James, said, you know, we want to come to England and maybe we can get together with uh, with you guys for a day or whatever. And so I put the word out, and we ended up getting uh, myself, Steve Lexford. Uh, Five of us total, Chuck Dunlap, Rich Lou, and Mark Craddy, all kind of said, yeah, I want to go. So we set up uh, a tour ourselves. Actually, I rented a house outside of London, a place called Milton Keynes. And then we rented a car. We had it all set up. And so we all flew over uh, from Dulles in Washington straight into Heathrow and just had a fabulous time. We... Uh, 
obviously staying in London was so expensive, we just decided the car, the renting the house was much better, and and it turned out to be a great idea because we could cook our own food while we were there. But uh, we would take the train into London every day and tour London by way of the subway system called the Tube. And one day met with the RICS people, James Cavanaugh. Their building is right down in the, near the Parliament by the Thames River down in the heart of London. Fabulous. Right next to uh, Big Ben, the clock, and... Uh, and uh, all the other sites. So while we were there, we we went all over London. Actually, we uh, including the, went to the Sherlock Holmes Museum one day. But we also did the British Museum, the British Library. Just had a great time in London. And other times while we were there, instead of going to London every day, we wanted to go to other places in England. So uh, uh, we had uh, through friends had met a. Uh, a, uh, friend of my, uh, uh, a friend of theirs who became a friend of ours, Alan Wright, who was in Cambridge. And that is where the uh, Antarctic, the British Antarctic Survey is located, and that's so we went to Cambridge, went through the museum there, and met with the uh, uh, the people, the scientists there who deal with all the uh, information that they glean from uh, the Antarctic expeditions. Fabulous. Then we went out to uh, George Washington's, uh, not George Washington himself, of course, but to his family's home because George Washington's family were, uh, of course, originally from England. It's called Sulgrave Manor. And we toured Sulgrave Manor, uh, a special tour we managed to, to get there just for our group. And it turned out that uh, Sulgrave was built in 1539, and like I said, it's the ancestral home of George Washington, so that was a very interesting tour. And we learned all about how George Washington's family eventually immigrated over to the United States, and everyone knows the rest of the story from that point. Then we saw the Scott Fuller Museum while we were in England, and uh, at the end of the trip, we went out to the, uh, actually to the uh, Rolls-Royce plant and got a tour there. That was a fantastic tour. But we had a great time in England, and so uh, we're talking about possibly getting a tour uh, here in uh, 2018 and maybe sponsoring another trip over there. But that's yeah, that, pretty well that story. Yeah. that. Um, have you seen that TV show called Who Do You Think You Are? People Tracing Their Roots. Yeah. I've, I think I've watched it a couple time. of times, and the one I was watching one last night that went back to to England of course and and uh, Scotland actually was part of it as well and that was just really intriguing um, to to go through all that that ancestry you know speaking of the of the chartered surveyors um, mm-hmm. I think I read this in our uh, surveyors and statesmen book that the, the Virginia Service Foundation has um, about Captain John Smith being a chartered surveyor and surveying some uh, up from the Jamestown settlement going to the west there makes me think he must be the first at least in the the colonial time discounting the Floridians of course because they were ahead of time but uh, I think Virginia might be able to claim that first surveyor I wouldn't doubt it I mean it's interesting how it, you know the thing about England is it goes I mean our history here in the United States is what 250 years whatever Whereas England's history is all the way back to the Roman era. 
So, you know, there are so many things to see in England that, that they're just fascinating. You know, that's one of the things that, that has stricken me, and probably you too, is just traveling around the country doing what we do, um, how the folks from the western part of the country, you know, their history is a lot shorter than the history here on the East Coast, and they talk about that a lot, that, you know, your history is a lot lot older than ours, and then that makes me think about, well, the people who came here to settle where we are, their history is a heck of a lot longer, longer than ours is. It's pretty uh, pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, it really is. So did you find the, which did you, I should ask this question, which did you find the most exhilarating, the camel ride or driving on the wrong side of the road in England? <laughs> I think the camel ride was safer. <laughs> no, no. Actually, Stephen did most of the driving because he, being from England, was very familiar with driving on the wrong side of the road, as we would say here in the States. Yeah, and uh, you know the other thing about England is they don't really—they're not big on red lights like, or <laughs> you know, they have uh, roundabouts all over yes. England, which is I, really efficient if you get right down to it because no one ever stops. You just keep on going. You don't have a, a red and a light. You just keep on driving. Of course, you have to yield as someone comes into the roundabout, but traffic flows very smoothly. What I found, and we though, drove all over England, and uh, you know, I found that to be the—I uh, mean, I found that to be very. Uh, if you're trained to do it now, here in the U.S., I don't think we have a million wrecks. But over there, they are—they are—you know—that's what they're used to doing. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't have a Steve Letchford when I went to New Zealand, and I drove <laughs> around New Zealand for a week. And one of the things I learned about those roundabouts is it's probably not a really good idea to be on the inside no. because sooner or later you got to get off. <laughs> sure, sooner. Or later. Matter of fact, we were in one particular roundabout. We were going over to the the this uh, when we were driving the, the day over to the Rolls Royce plant, which is it's a long drive, about 132 miles, I think. But we we came to this one massive roundabout, and it was so it was I think it was that advertised as the most complex roundabout in England. And of course, that's where we drive through. It was a humongous roundabout with four smaller roundabouts. Within the large roundabout. Oh, my goodness. Were they like satellites or in the middle? No, they were in, I mean, just imagine yourself a giant circle and then with four circles around the giant circle. Oh, wow. So you had to know which minor roundabout to get on off the large roundabout. And then once you got into the smaller roundabout, you had to know which road to lead out of that particular roundabout to get where you were trying to go. So we drove around that roundabout about two times before we could figure out what to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I can have a lot of sympathy with that. I know I know that feeling very well. And, and of course, you're scared to death anyway because you're the only guy that doesn't know what you're doing. And, uh, well, yeah, it's a, it's a different experience when everybody's driving on the other side of the road. It's um, You get used to it after a while, but at the beginning, it's 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 so different that you're kind of going, holy cow, what, you know, we're about to get run over here, you know. But, we're, not, but it's safe. We're getting close to our, our break here in 30 seconds or so, but I, I hope you get to do that that extra trip over to England. I, I met James not too long ago, as you know, and um, oh, yeah. I'm hoping to get over and visit with those guys too sometime soon. So it's it, well, I'm looking forward to that experience because my family actually is from Wales, but it's still part of Great Britain. So, Well, when we met with James, I don't know if we have time for that. Yeah, we got about 10 Arantia. seconds. Maybe we can, pick, we can pick up on that yeah. when we come back and, and finish that up, and then we'll go to... Uh, to Cigar Land after that. So, very good. Let's, right. let's go to the break. 
Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Getting into underground utility location? If so, you'll want to know about the Schoenstatt Instrument Company's MPC kit, a multi-purpose combo for locating both ferrous objects and underground pipes and cables. And because it consists of two instruments in one package, it qualifies for trade-in allowances on two locators. Any kind, any make, any condition. Contact your dealer for details or visit www.shonstat.com. That's S-C-H-O-N-S-T-E-D-T dot com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back, folks. We're into our last segment with Dave Holland today. And, David, you were you were starting to tell us a bit more about England as we were going to break. Well, yeah, when we were at a uh, meeting with uh, James Cavanaugh at the RICS Hall in England, uh, we noticed that up on the, uh, they had this uh, this uh, wall, on the, on the wall there, they had 1868, which was like the founding, at least we think it's the founding of the RICS, Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. And so we're thinking 1868, 2018, that's 150 years. That'd be a great time to have some kind of a trip over back over to England and to combine our American surveyors with our ICS English surveyors and have some kind of a little get-together. So that's kind of what we're kind of talking about at this moment in time. Now, Nothing's that, decided, but that's what we're thinking about doing. That's an interesting perspective because when James was here, we were talking about an event. I think last year was the first year they had the event. I know John Warren, our president, went last year, yeah. and mm-hmm. he, and he's in, invited us to come and participate in in that event. It looks like it's going to be an annual thing, so that might even be an opportunity. I don't know. Um, I emailed James just the other day about it. And he's uh, he thinks it's a great idea. So there's no problem as far as uh, they're concerned. It's just a matter of whether you know it'd be an expensive trip, and so it might be a problem. But we'll sure. have to talk about it and see what everybody thinks about. It something like that yeah absolutely you right, know those guys uh, the RICS guys are really involved in this I've gotten involved in what they are referring to as the International Property Measurement Standards Group right um, and really what they're talking about is what you measure not so much how you measure so that when you are talking internationally about space and in this particular case it's it's building space it's not land space just yet and may not ever get to land space but um, it, you get measurements from somebody and it 
is probably a measurement to something that's different from what you're accustomed to. And what they're trying to do is establish a standard that everybody is involved in. I think there's, I want to say, maybe 60 countries involved in it now. Um, we get new people into it all the time. But they've been a real big driver and facilitator. I've had a couple of guys from there on the radio show actually talking about it. And, uh, yeah, England is a, has a different system than we have as far as survey. I've talked about with James about this, uh, boundary surveying, for example. They are more like, to a certain extent, similar to a touring system whereby you register your land. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they're not so concerned with exact dimensions of land like we are here in the States, but they are more concerned with the location of the land. See, most of the land are surrounded by hedgerows, as an example, you know, once you get out in the country, so to speak, in England. Mm-hmm. And so they're not searching for that one point plus or minus 100, 100th routine like we're always doing. They're kind of, yeah, there it is, and uh, it's more like the the overall land as opposed to the specific dimensions of the land. It's an interesting concept. And that goes back because to the fact that England has been there so much longer than the U.S., and so it's been settled for so much longer and so forth and so on. Right, right. And that's we're always having discussions. I've mentioned this on the show before. Uh, but it, it, when you said that, it reminded me of, of our buddy Jeff Lucas, who's always talking about the, the people living in harmony with their hedgerows and their fences and then the dream crusher comes along with his centimeter accuracy and tells them yeah. how to move everything two feet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of indicative of, of the difference, uh, in a sense, of the way we operate here and, and the way they operate there. Well, I know that... Uh, do you still have that place you like to go where you got your own beer mug in, in Richmond? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. So when well, you're there, you also enjoy cigars, I'm sure. Absolutely. I like to... Uh, premier premium cigars. So is that that, that what drove you? Old. Is that what drove you to Nicaragua, or was there surveying involved? No, it was uh, it was the cigars. A friend of mine owns, <laughs> of course. <laughs> a friend of mine here in uh, Richmond owns uh, uh, several cigar stores, and so because he is an owner of several cigars, like a chain, if you will, then uh, what happens is that the cigar manufacturers on occasion, we'll invite one of these cigar owners down to tour the cigar fields down in Nicaragua, Honduras, wherever, and invite uh, that owner, who is a good customer of there, you see, to bring some of his friends as a group trip. And so that's how I got into this whole thing as far as being able to go down there because... Uh, uh, my friend invited me to go and said, David, if you want to bring some other people, just uh, let them know and we'll get a group going. I said, that's great. So I put out the word to some uh, fellow surveyors here in Virginia. And, uh, you know, about four guys took me up on it. And so here in about 2012, which was uh, three years ago now, I guess, we all got in the plane, flew from... Uh, see here i think in that situation we flew from uh, richmond to atlanta and then on the way down to managua nicaragua and uh which is the capital of nicaragua incredible country down there central america it's really interesting to you've got extinct volcanoes and interesting place but a third world country so uh, once we arrived at the airport then we had to 
uh, ride from the airport in Managua to the center of the country to a place called Esteli. That's where the cigar, uh, that's where the perfect environment is for growing these premium cigars. And that's where they roll the cigars, manufacture the cigars. Everything is done right around that valley. So we all get to the airport in Nicaragua, and we come out, and we've got our guide is waiting for us. He has a little van that, uh, you know, like a Toyota van that'll hold maybe 20 people, even though in our group, once again, it was nine. I think nine is the magic number with these groups that I end up getting together. And, uh, of course, the van was filled up with uh, Nicaraguan beer, rum, lots of cigars, and water. So we were in hog heaven right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> had all the provisions you needed. This, 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 we had everything we needed. So here we go. It's about a two-hour drive from Managua along the Pan-American Highway until you get up into the mountains of, of the interior of Nicaragua. So you've gone from 200 feet elevation at Managua to now 3,000 feet when you get up up to, the, to Esteli. And you are about 13 degrees north. Uh, what would that be? North uh, uh, latitude. So you're about maybe 800 miles from the actual equator. But the weather, of course, is extremely mild. It's uh, just beautiful weather. It's perfect for growing cigar tobacco. And so every day, we were there only about four days, but every day we would get in the little van. We'd eat breakfast in the morning in this uh, hotel we stayed in, and uh, we would tour the fields first. And, I mean, these fields were out in the boonies. I'm, I think Hernando Cortez or DeSoto would have gotten lost out there, you know. I mean, way <laughs> we went places that I never even thought I would ever see or, you know, be seen again kind of a thing. But uh, went out to the tobacco farms, toured the farms, saw how they grew the tobacco, how they harvested tobacco, put it in these drying barns, you know, the whole thing. And then after about day two, we went back and went to the factories where they rolled these cigars you know, they, uh, they, I mean, from the moment, a, interestingly enough, from a moment you start growing a, a, a teaspoon of, of seeds, which are the size of grains of sand, of cigar seeds, will be enough to plant an acre of tobacco. Interesting, wow. huh? That is interesting. So we get back to the barn. So we start touring the factories now, and these are really nice. And there are maybe two, three hundred people in the factories who are all rolling cigars, mostly women. They seem to have the the touch, so to speak. And so we're watching all this being done. It's just a fascinating thing to watch. And they let us roll a few cigars. My cigars are not exactly top notch, but uh, <laughs> I was able to smoke them, so it worked out. <laughs> And they even had the box plant there. I mean, they even built a cigar box. Everything was done right there. Wow. So it was just a fascinating trip. I, I have a question for you. <laughs> you yeah. You've heard one of my things that I come up with. Uh, you might be married to a surveyor. If, and one of them is you might be married to a surveyor if every vacation includes looking for survey markers somewhere. So I guess my question yeah. to you is, in all these trips, did those kind of things ever cross your mind, or were you having too much fun? Having too much fun, but I will say, we didn't really search for any markers, <laughs> but I will say we actually, as we were driving up the Pan-American Highway, we saw a survey crew on the side of the road. We were so thrilled to see that. Actually out there <laughs> running some kind of a level loop or what, who knows what they were doing, but they were an actual survey crew. And I thought, here we are in the, in the you know, in the 
the jungles of Nicaragua, and there's a survey crew. So that just shows the surveyors were everywhere, you know? Do they have individual <laughs> land ownership there in that country? Uh, I'm sure they do, but I'm not sure exactly how it works out. Yeah. It's it's just because amazing. I, I asked that question. Country. Yeah, I asked that question out of total ignorance because it's it's amazing to me how we Americans are so ignorant about what happens in the rest of the world. Well, the poverty is incredible. As a matter of fact, you would, as we were going out to these fields, you see people living in these, you know, mud huts, so to speak, and the and their so-called door would be nothing more than than a uh, you know just a, a cloth, you know, a, lo- a large piece of cloth like a curtain that would be the door. I mean, they'd have, like, goats in, uh, you know, horse maybe and chickens and that sort of thing, but, uh, you know, the subsistence living, to put it mildly. And even in the, at the cigar factories, which was near the main town of Esteli, was surrounded. And, by the way, uh, security is a big deal in third-world countries. Lots of, uh, of uh, you know, generally speaking, there's a lot of security, a lot of uh, militia, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and the people, the, the worker bees, the workers who would come to work every morning would ride their bicycles because no one could afford, you know, the regular workers couldn't afford an automobile. So that's yeah. just how it is. Sure. Well, yeah. we're about a minute and a half out from the end of the show, so as we're closing out here, I want to, I want to thank you for being with me to begin with and providing this this relief, if you will, from our standard thing and taking us from Alaska to Egypt to England to Nicaragua. I mean, that's quite an adventure uh, to to try to get done in, in an hour-long show. But, yeah, but we toured the world. Yeah, we have. And uh, so I hope you'll, I'm, I'm sure you will, continue your adventures and uh, maybe some of our listeners will uh, will get the bug and maybe do the same thing. We do need to get more familiar with the world we live in i i had a yard sale this weekend for the first time in the almost 30 years we've lived in our house and i i met more people in the few hours we had that yard sale in my neighborhood than i had met in all those years yeah. it's just amazing how we sort of insulate ourselves to to whatever it is we're doing even though people like you and and i more so here in country but get to travel a lot still we uh, we don't see so much so it's been great. Well, you know, uh, the Earth, uh, with, despite all the problems we're having on planet Earth, it's uh, it's a wonderful place to be in the universe, and there are so many things to see that uh, I would uh, certainly uh, emphasize that if you get a chance, go. There's, you know, traveling is just a fascinating way to see the world and meet different people and cultures. It's just excellent. That's true, and I hate to cut us yeah. short, but we're at the end okay. of our time. So thanks, David. I really appreciate it. All right. Goodbye. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks. You're Bye. listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.